Hello, hello, and welcome to episode two of the Beehive Jive. Yes, we've done it again. Woohoo! <laughs> you seem so excited. <laughs> I am excited. Okay. We love doing this. Although this is a bit of a this is, so this episode we're going to talk about pests in mm. particular the the ones with legs because uh, you went to Australia back to the motherland. Yes. And although I don't call it that. Don't you? Why not? Because <laughs> I'm I'm a, a Londoner. In it. In it, mate. Um, yeah, I did. I did go back to Australia to visit family who gave me Christmas presents that were insufficient. <laughs> but anyway, that's not why I went. You are so demanding. Uh, <laughs> and always go and meet up with some beekeepers while I'm there because, you know, as we were just saying in our warm-up for this conversation, it's really interesting how they've got small hive beetle We've got Varroa, and we're each dreading the other one's pests. That sounds yes. wrong, but you know, yeah. you know what I mean. So um, it's interesting to see the kind of attitude and education around Varroa that's going on in Australia at the moment and to compare that with small hive beetle here. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because as I understand it, the problem in Australia at the moment is they've, they've, the Asian honeybee has been found in Australia, and that's a natural host of Varroa. Mm. So they think they've got Varroa being the only laugh on the last place in the world that doesn't have it. Well, yes, but it, that's an interesting story because I heard that story when I was there four years ago, that the story that Apis serrane, I think that's the way you say it. I think some people in Australia say serrana, but I don't know if they serrane. <laughs> I've never done it. You're much more <laughs> educated than me. I kowtow to you and your Latin. Um, so... I think um, that story was circulating four years ago that Apis serrana had flown across the Torres Strait, which is a very narrow piece of water which separates the very tip of Queensland from Papua New Guinea. Oh, okay. So, of course, when you think of the size of Australia and the size of Queensland, northern Queensland is very, very tropical and a perfect habitat for Apis serrana. What I, what I have been told um, was that... That first uh, incursion was contained and dealt with at the time. And another one has just happened um, in winter last year, their winter, June 2016. So Apis Serrano made a second attempt at coming into Australia. And um, what happened was they found a swarm living under a wharf in Townsville, which is in North Queensland. And, of course, all of the kind of biosecurity stuff kicked right in straight away. As you can imagine, they're, they're very, very good at that in Australia. And anyone who's ever been to, into Australia... Johnny Depp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's yeah another story I could talk about for ages. But um, so, you know, they were, they were right on it. And what I thought was brilliant in the way they dealt with it, so it was the government departments... Um, so it's like, uh, I think it's it was Biosecurity Queensland. They've got Queensland Beekeepers Association, so like individual, you know, hobby apiarists like us. Um, there's a Honeybee Industry Council in Australia. So all of these came together, they contained it, and they found Varroa Jacobsoni, not oh. Varroa Destructor. So last week when I spoke to my bee contacts... In Australia, um, they were like, "No, there's there's no Varroa destructor. Things okay, are so things are okay. 
okay. That's that's what I've heard. So Jacob's ear has, has jumped, hasn't it? So we're slaughtering these these scientific names. They're, they're absolutely getting a kick in on this episode. But the... <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> non- Latin, do you mean? Yeah. Oh, look, who cares, everyone? But, <laughs> but the other the other varroa has actually been found on European honeybees, hasn't it? What? Jacob's honey? Yes. E? I don't know how to say <laughs> it. Jacob's honey. Um... I don't, I, yes, it has. It has. And, I mean, I have, you know, throughout learning about beekeeping, only focused on varroa destructor, although obviously you know the history of of how it's developed. Um, but, you know, I think they're all, they're all ready for it. From what I've seen in the way um, that bees are kept by hobbyists such as us, yeah. it's very different in Australia. Um, I saw... I, I was very fortunate to spend the afternoon with two fantastic guys, John and Kevin, um, who have bees in Queensland. And they showed me their hives. They're using Langstroth hives, um, which had solid floors. So obviously that's a big difference to the way that we're keeping bees here. Yeah. Um, also... Of course, the the big problem they would have in Australia is that they have a very long brood rearing season, so they've got like a, a ten month honey production season, okay. which is why commercial beekeeping is so viable in Australia. Um, so potentially you would have, and they keep big colonies as well, of predominantly Italian, so called Italian, you know, strain bees, which are very prolific. So, you know, what you've got is very big hives with a lot of brood. Varroa could just, I guess, take hold very quickly. Um, I think with small hive beetle, that's helped, you know, hobbyists uh, to learn about the concept of integrated pest management and of the fact that, you know, you want to manage these pests, you don't blitz them and kill all of them at once you want to you know just constantly manage them but um yeah I I had lots of questions from them about varroa and what it's like living with varroa that sounds like a help group doesn't it <laughs> it is a help group <laughs> <laughs> we all get together and uh, talk about our mic counts but <laughs> so I mean varroa landed in the UK uh, mm. in 1992 yeah. And I think the initial response there was to the beekeepers put uh, miticide into the hives. Um, and that, that killed all the varroa. So job done. Happy days. The problem was is they never took the miticides out of the hives so that the, the mites then became resistant to miticides. And uh, inadvertent text message. And um, <laughs> Sorry about that. So what's happened then is is lots of bees died because they died of varroosis. But now now in this country, I think over sort of painful experience, this idea of a combination of sort of what would you call it? They're not miticides, are they kind of organic, primarily some sort of organic acids, thymol kind based. Of the unlicensed. Well no, the, the most of the treatments now aren't based on a miticide, are they based on do you mean the, like the kind of thymol. supplements that you add no, to... No, no, things like thymol, uh, formic acid, right, yeah. oxalic acid. That's most of the treatments are, aren't based on miticide. They're based on some sort of chemical that interferes with the mite. And uh, lots of mite counts. 
screen bottom boards, although I'm not really sure what screen bottom boards do anymore, to be honest, because I, I count my mites. Um, Shook swarms, which I know you think have got magical qualities. I think they're the answer to everything. <laughs> uh, In and spring. Most people now manage their varroa. I do think it's it's got to the point now people manage their varroa probably by a calendar rather than actually how many mites are in the hive. So they'll they'll treat the end of the honey flow. Mm. They'll put whatever they want to put into the hive. And then in the winter, they'll go around and trickle oxalic acid. I know this year I'm going to do uh, more sort of more proactive mite counting so I can treat if they need it rather than just because that's the time of the year you treat. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens if, if, if slash when, for our lands in Australia, if, if they could take that wider knowledge from all the other countries, because they've got it in New Zealand, all these other countries that are dealing with it, and not have the collapse that everywhere else has suffered when they initially got it. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, it was the first time I'd seen small hive beetle, and it's... I mean, it's a disgusting, vile thing. I mean, it's just horrible. And, you know, I, I saw a hive where the bees had absconded because the population of beetles had got too high. The guys I met saved it and showed it to me. Lovely. And it was just disgusting. And, and they used the term slimed out. Oh, this hive slimed out yesterday. And it literally is slime from obviously where the larvae are eating their way through pollen and honey and they're just pooing everywhere and it stinks and it's it ferments and it's just horrible um it made me kind of realize it would be difficult to see beetles running around on the comb if you've got a comb covered with bees um it's it's horrible but there are lots of things you can do about it and they're developing lots of um new ways of controlling it they're developing a lure apparently like a kind of pheromone trap really? that actually draws the beetles away from hives and they've got soil drenches um i i have to say i think varroa is such a a terrible pest and you know you you can't just not treat it and hope for the best it will kill your bees um and i think anyone who's ever seen a hive that's been killed by, by Varroa, it's one of the saddest things you could see in beekeeping. I mean, apart from a hive that's starved, it, it is yeah, just it the total pathetic. breakdown of bee society. I mean, it's really terrible. And, um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think there, there are things that we can learn from integrated pest management of other pests like small hive beetles. But certainly for Varroa, the, the key thing for me is to always know how many mites there are in my colonies. And I think the Varroa tray has limited use in that way because the mites can crawl back up into the hive. They can blow away. They can, you know, if it's... Things eat them. If things eat them. It's, um, you know, condensation, rainy, whatever. You pull out the tray and it's just washed everything off. Are you going to do sugar shakes this year then? I've never done them, and you were saying that you're going to do them. I'm going to do. I'm doing uh, alcohol washes, which is oh, I, a bit okay. more aggressive. Oh, sorry. Do you mean like the icing sugar? So when you put the bees mm. in a in a jar with a mesh lid, you put sugar in, um, icing sugar in there, shake them. That brings the mites off, and then you shake, and then you can shake the mites through the the grill. 
Right. I've never tried that. I've never tried any... Sugar roll. That's what it's called. Oh, okay. I've never tried that. I tried the alcohol wash once on someone else's bees. But I've just... (laughs) I've just worked out the tray, I think, is a good snapshot. But I, and it's a good, actually, it's a good snapshot of what's going on in the colony, especially in winter. You put that in for a few days, you come back and you can see where the cluster is by the debris on the drain yeah. floor. I mean, I found it really useful. Um, but actually, I need a much more accurate method of measuring the varroa population because in the last few years, I've gone into autumn feeding even after varroa treatments it's too high so by the time you get to christmas or november uh you need to do something well i think in southern england i don't think they get a brood break that often anymore they used to get a brood break over the winter but the winters are quite i mean this one winter has been quite mild so i think they've got brood all the time which means that 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 autumn treatment when you go and trickle oxalic used to knock down 90 odd percent of the mites now they've got brood i'm not sure it does so Mm. i'm kind of more aggressively counting my mites but yeah the sugar roll i've actually have a sugar roll kit that you're more than welcome to borrow i'm gonna have to do it just because of the name it just sounds so (laughs) what are you doing today i'm doing a sugar roll (laughs) oh dear but (laughs) it sounds like fun Really? Yeah. So, so when they slime out, mm. when the hive slimes out, what do they do with the hive? Does it? Can you reuse it? Is it? Do you just no. throw it with a frame? What about the boxes? I guess. I guess you could. I mean, the beetles. Now, this is good. Do I know this? The beetles. I don't think are a vector in the way that varroa is no, for other viruses. No. So, I guess you could scrub up the box and everything. But obviously, Lang- Langstroth combs are big, and. You're wasting, well, like the 14 by 12s, I guess, that I use. You're wasting a lot of bee energy that's, you know, been used to draw that comb. Mm. Um, actually, I say I say the 14 by 12s are big. With Langstroth, obviously, the super combs are the same size, so they're massive. So if you've got the bee larvae in the honey, you're throwing away boxes of comb like that. I mean, it's it's pretty catastrophic. The whole thing, and apparently it can happen quite quickly. Um, but you know, they they use a lot of kind of biotechnical methods, like the oil traps. They've got specially adapted floors now with oil traps that slide in. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can get. I've seen them here in the UK now. I think they're called beetle blasters. They're these kind of. I think that's what they're called. I may have got that wrong. Um, like plastic. Uh, kind of uh, containers that hang down between the frames um, and you don't put oil in those because obviously that's very bad for bees but you put diamondaceous earth <laughs> I may not speak Latin but I do oh, I don't know I hope I've got that right it's basically food grade earth so it's safe to put inside a food production right. space and of course the beetles when they come to lay their eggs and pupate and whatever disgusting things they do um will go into that earth and then the trap can be removed and taken out because i understand it the earth's sharp as well so it's very i don't know actually yeah. it might be or actually i don't know but the the other i think probably the most popular one is the traps on the floor of the hive and again the ones i saw were solid floors and i've in my years of beekeeping not that many but you know a number of them i'd never seen a solid wo- floor hive because really? no because we got them at the training apron 
probably why I haven't seen them. <laughs> so, so I've always been You're taught to use to open mesh floor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the same with Varroa. We've got our biotechnical things that we do, you know, shaking the icing, sugar, you can do drone brood removal, you can do the queen comb trapping, which I've never tried because it looks like a bit of a faff. But, yeah, the shook swarm, that is my top favourite thing. To, and it's fun as well. I mean, I love doing it. And you just feel so productive. You go into your apiary and you just shook swarm So explain your colonies. what shook swarm is. Cause okay, so... A shook swarm is basically an instant comb change for a colony. And, you know, you don't do it on a weak colony. You do it on a uh, a good colony in, like, you know, April. In spring. Yeah. In spring. Um, I mean, the spring timing varies so widely now, doesn't it? But, um, you know, once they've built up to a good size, you know, maybe kind of, you know, three to five frames of brood, you, um, you have a clean box fitted with, frames and foundation you move that onto the spot of the hive move the hive to one side and then you try ideally you would find the queen and cage her but often you you can't and um, although I always usually do find the queen but you basically just then shake all of the bees into the empty clean box or fresh comb on fresh foundation. On fresh foundation, so undrawn, exactly. But then what you can do, and, and I, I love doing this, <laughs> is to get a, get a comb mm. of unsealed brood from that hive and put it right in the middle. And then the mites, having nowhere else to go, all the phoretic mites, the idea is some of them will go into that unsealed brood to breed. And then once the bees have sealed it, after a few more days, you can just take it out and dispose of it. So you've further reduced yeah. the varroa population and the virus. You've got load. treated. So if you don't, you're not comfortable with treating with chemicals. Mm. That's a really good way of knocking down your mite load early yeah. in the season. Yeah. With no treatment, I think. But I think what concerns people is they think they're, you know, you destroyed all the brood now. That's gone, mm-hmm. and they've got no comb. I think people get nervous that. They're not going to build back up in time. That's not true. I mean, you have to feed them with any with any comb change uh, procedure. You have to feed them, but I mean, it's good practice to change comb. You know, at least every two years, anyway. In the brood, talking about the brood here, Um, but you know, for me, I find actually the loss of the brood kind of almost well, it doesn't matter in the long run because a shook swarm seems to really stimulate the colony. Yeah, and they almost they, go into swarm mode. They, they really get going. And I find that often they then don't swarm later on. Well, one of our our members of our bee club, Mags, she swarms her, all her bees every year. Yeah. And she said she can't remember the last time she had a swarm. And if you feed them, mm. they build out that box really quickly. They do. I mean, I, I had a colony last year that built it out in a week. Now, that was... That was a big colony, obviously. Um, but, you know, a, a big healthy colony like that needs clean comb. And obviously, yes, this is a, a method for managing Varroa, but it also has a million other benefits in terms of, you know, keeping the comb clean, you know, in terms of things like chalk brood or, 
you know, brood diseases as well. Um, they need clean comb and they need a clean environment. So it's kind of, for me, it's a spring clean all in one with massive varroa <laughs> yeah. benefit. And I didn't do it this year. And the reason I didn't do it was because of the weather and because of my work, that horrible four-letter word that all beekeepers hate. Um, but, yeah, I, I noticed, I think I noticed the difference in in the pattern of varroa throughout the year, not having done a shook swarm. But I think also the, the really benefit of shook swarm is if for some reason you couldn't have treated over the weekend, over the over the over the winter, and you think either by doing a mite count or just looking at your bees, you think well, they probably got a high mite load. Mm. A shook swarm is a really easy way of of knocking those mites out because if you do treat, you can use an oxalate dribble. Yeah. In the new to either knock them down, you'll you'll knock 95 percent of your mites out of your hive. You'll put more fresh comb. You'll feed them, and you'll really build, you'll give them a kind of boost into spring. I think and that's mm. that's shoe swarm. I mean, I like shoe swarms. I think they're they're very useful. It's just a lot of people are resistant to them because they'll do them in an emergency if they've got a massive mite load. Because really, that's that's unless you unless you put. A mite side in in the hive, shook swarm is probably the easiest way to get rid of mites. Mm. Um, but a lot of people think, well, hang on, I've got two frames of brood, I've got all this wax. You know, what do I do? Why, why would I waste it? But I think you're not you're not really wasting it. You're just no. refreshing that hive. I mean, if you if you have a sm you know, it's not suitable for all colonies. But you know, obviously, it's the bigger colonies, the most prolific and healthy colonies that have the most varroa so because i've got the most brood so you know that's what you want to do is uh they, they can cope with it they're like yeah bring it on um if it's a small <laughs> i wouldn't do, i've got you know a number of colonies that are not good candidates for shook swarm because they're a bit they're a bit small they're a bit and you know I, that's a separate assessment i need to do about what i want to do with those because i don't believe in kind of babying colonies along i like to have you know vigorous colonies maybe they need uniting and requeening and whatever but i mean yeah as i said for the shook swarm is about varroa control number one for me but also it is about comb change and there are many other other methods of changing comb and some of them irritate me um <laughs> really <laughs> no i can't say which one some of them no which one irritate i want to know now <laughs> Come on, Tracy. Which one irritates you? I just, I don't know. Sometimes I find Bailey changes a bit of a faff. Because, um, you know, because my bees are not in my garden. And, I mean, I, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it works. Maybe I've just never done it right. That's a high possibility. But, um, yeah. What, what do you find, sorry, what do you find difficult about the... Now, you don't find it difficult. What do you find irritating about Bailey co-changing? <laughs> it's too slow. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, I know that's that's not good beekeeping. It, 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 so just, I like instant results. Just to be clear, it irritates you because it's it's just not as it's not up to your standard of speed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and also, I don't like things that are named after people. I kind of find. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'm just joking now. Obviously, there are, a deep there are many there are many men's names used in beekeeping, and I'm sure they're all good people. Um, I think we get a deeper insight to your mind than we want. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, possibly. But uh, no, I mean, I, I kind of find that obviously maybe the one frame at a time 
for a small colony is a good way of doing it. And yeah, Bailey change, I don't know. But I kind of think, well, if they can do a Bailey change, they can almost do a Shook Swarm. So why not just get it over and done with? Well, I think the, Bailey, the benefit of Bailey change is you don't lose the fruit. But well, what you don't get with a baby, so baby change yeah, is good for yeah, change, yeah. changing You're code right. and changing size of cone. So yeah. if you want to go from a, I don't know, national hot, for American view, a medium to a large box, um, you can use a, a Bailey cone change, and that brood will naturally move. Mm. Um, that's the benefit. You don't you don't lose the brood. The the, the sort of downside to it is unlike a ship swarm, you don't clear the mites. Those right. mites just travel with the bees. Yeah, and I mean obviously with the Bailey change, you remove the old box and destroy the comb. So you'll get you are doing it in the long run. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I think I think it's a gentler way of change. It's it's, yes, the, it's it the gentlest way to change the comb if all you want to do is change the comb. If you want to change the comb and do a mite yeah. control, shoot swarms much, much more effective. Well yeah. infinitely more effective than a Bailey. It's because Bailey's doesn't do that. And and you know, I, to me, the whole point of changing comb is about disease in in the colony um so yeah i, I won't say anything more about bailey change <laughs> you have to find out why you detest them. this so is much. just my opinion <laughs> it may not be fact i don't know we're not claiming to be experts no no <laughs> just, just, please god no <laughs> so we've got europe it's now got a small hive beetle and we've got it in italy it's been there and yeah in Sicily and Calabria. Yeah, so it's been there for about three years and the Italian authorities have done an amazing job giving it a flying insect containing it. Mm. Um, and some, some people suggest it's because where it is in... So if you think of Italy as the famous boot, it's kind of on the edge of the ankle near Sicily, near the toe. Um, where it kicks Sicily. Yeah, but... Um, people have suggested because that area is surrounded by mountains that they can't actually get over the mountains. But what the what the local authorities done there, they've just burned hundreds of hives, which is a bit soul-destroying. You see, they find it, they mm -hmm. burn it, and they drench all the ground. And here's a, here's a warning, right? Here's a cautionary tale. They thought they had eradicated it, and then they found it in an unregistered apiary. Yes. So if you have bees and you live in the UK, given that we've got all these other pests that we're facing, mm. please register your bees in an apiary because the benefit to you is if there's an outbreak of something like, God forbid, small hive beetle, the National Bee Unit will tell you and they'll give you support if you can to see if you're getting... It gives you the chance to move your bees, take a sort of thing to protect them. If you don't register your bees, you don't know there's a local outbreak... You could then be find that yourself that you've got an infestation and you're helping this sort of invasive species spread through the bee colony. So it's well worth registering your bees. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take much time. They don't use it for anything nefarious. And also you get access to bee inspectors. So if you've got a problem, you get a free, you know, an expert will come and visit your apiary for free and give you some advice. So please register your bees and we'll put the National Bee Unit in the show notes. And you do that on bee base. Yes. Um, and bee base, I mean, has great resources on it. But I remember when I started keeping bees in my first 12 months, I thought I had about just about every foul brood and everything. <laughs> I had the local bee inspector <laughs> out about three times. Really? In the first okay. year, <laughs> yes. 
David. He was very, very patient with me. Um, but like they, I felt like such an idiot when um, there was one occasion where I said, oh, the brood looks all dark. It was capped brood. It looks really dark. Oh, God, I think it's AFB. <laughs> and um, he came and he said, you do realise that before bees emerge, they rise up to the top of the cell so the cappings look darker. I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't know that. But I do now. And I, I know that because a bee inspector came and helped me. And, and he said, you know, you never, ever apologise for calling us because if, as you say, God forbid, there was an outbreak of something like small hive beetle, it was detected, the sooner they find it and identify its spread, the sooner they can contain it. And I think the recent Asian hornet situation illustrates that where I believe Touchwood it's been according to the email I had from the National Bee Unit it's been successfully eradicated um I guess we'll know well yeah so I mean soon that's probably the that's the pest that we're probably closest to at the moment yeah um very true yeah so they found it they found a nest they eradicated a nest they they're saying they don't think um they don't think it produced any queens so we'll find out. Um, what's not clear, and I, I don't really, it does. It, it's not clear to me if it was a, um, an Asian hornet that came into the UK, not from the population on mainland Europe. That doesn't seem to be clear whether or not it's a it's a queen that's travelled here, or it's. Oh, I see. Like, yeah. Or it was imported some some other way. I, it wasn't on the coast, was it? It was in in the middle of. That, uh, yeah. Nowhere. I mean, I assumed it had being imported and didn't just fly over the yeah. English Channel or whatever is going to happen. Um, I mean, I, I'm amazed in, an insect could do that, but they are quite big things, aren't they? Um, but, yeah, I, I did wonder about that because um, obviously in other places, well, well, France was an import, allegedly. Was I mean, there are all kinds of stories about how these things... Apparently came over in pottery. From China, yeah. yeah. So I and well, small hive beetle in Australia. They say it came in on soil on the roots of strawberry plants, which were brought in for agricultural production. Oh, wow! So you kind of think about. I mean, that's a, and that's Australia with its biosecurity. Imagine how vulnerable we are here. Um, so yeah, maybe the Asian hornet did come in. I don't know if it's been um, decided what the theories are about how it got to Somerset. Well, I do know, I do know the mainland population is, um, it has a limited genetic pool because it was such a small initial host. They've actually detected they have genetic abnormality. So they produce a lot of diploids and things like that. So yeah. um, I think they, if they wanted to, or they probably have, they could actually determine if it's from the mainland population or if it's a brand new import. I mean, ideally, if it's a brand new import, there's a better chance to contain it than mm -hmm. if it's flown over the English Channel. Yeah, because it could just... Yeah. yeah. So th <clears throat> that's the one I think terrifies people uh, for no other reason than the Daily Mail keeps putting the giant hornet on the front of their <laughs> paper. So anyone who's not seen it, giant, giant hornet is about the size of your thumb. It's the world's largest hornet. That's not the hornet we're getting. We're getting the Asian hornet, which is slightly smaller than the European hornet. Um, but the evidence from France is that if you trap in spring, yeah. you can really reduce the number of 
queens that actually go on to make nests. So obviously if you, you catch a queen, that's, a, that's tens of thousands of hornets that never materialise. So if you're worried, there's a there's a quite a cheap trap you can make out of a, a plastic bottle. Um, I was going to buy those plastic bottles for eBay. I, I was going to ask if you... <laughs> So, <laughs> or went to Sainsbury's or something. Uh, yeah, before. so I thought well, you got buy these two litre sort of soda bottles. And I thought, okay, well, I'll get those off eBay. Um, I've realised it's actually cheaper to go to Sainsbury's and buy uh, six litre. Fizzy you know, water or something. Fizzy water, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's because you, you can get four for a pound. Yeah. And, and the bottles cost a pound if you buy them off eBay. So I bought some bottles. I've got the. God, something's badly wrong there somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. I've got I've got the uh, plans. So I'm going to make some over the weekend and just stick them out. They're um, allegedly that it's because you drill a seven mil hole. So allegedly that stops other insects. Because what you don't want to do, as much as we don't like wasps, you don't want to go and trap. All the local sort of indigenous insects in there. You don't want to kill all the wasps and, and the hornets because um, they have a an important role to play in the ecosystem. So I'm going to go and make these things in my little beekeeping shed uh, tomorrow. Cool. Along with painting boxes. And then you can tell me how to do it because the, the early ones I saw required, well, actually everything, including the kitchen sink, because they required like plumbing plastic and all kinds of stuff and then what do you put in the bottom oh it's got to be some rotten fish oh no it's got to I be some, that, no. some ham you've got to get protein in them and and really? um well i've i've read so many things so about the ones it. i've seen you get a, a two liter soda bottle you cut the top off you screw the lid back on you drill a seven mil hole through the lid and you invert it and you put it back in the bowl so ideally basically cut the lid off turn it over and put it back in and then you put a, a mesh tray at the bottom of the bottle. You fill it up with apple juice, something sweet. You put a little roof on it to stop the rain getting in and a hook to hang it on. And, and that's it. And then you join it together with pop rivets. Actually, that's that's interesting because I think, I mean, I wonder if it's about the time of year because it, that, it's you know spring. how wasps yeah. like, they want sugar at the end and protein at the beginning yeah. or something. I wonder if. I don't know. Asian horn, I need to. But I, I've read guides from France where they make this thing. Or you could buy them. I mean, the, 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 the beekeeping <laughs> suppliers are selling them at the moment, but they're selling for a ridiculous yeah. amount of money. I mean, I've seen some for like £20, and you think, well, I can make one with a bottle for like £3. So. And it's therapeutic. What it's like craft. Really? Yeah. Making your own beekeeping stuff. You've never seen me make anything, <laughs> have you? <laughs> Actually, no, I've heard you <laughs> from up the road. No, but um, it's like, you know, buying your frames made up versus making them yourself. I mean... Well, I'm making more foundationless frames this year. Mm. I've got a new system that I pinched off uh, the apris.org. My shout out to one of my favourite websites. It's a great website. It's fantastic. He's uh, He's got a, uh, a design for a foundationless frame that uses... Uh, lollipop sticks and bamboo skewers. So I'm going to be making those as well. Oh, that's really cool. I just like foundationless frames. I think they're, they're a pain in the neck to make, but yeah. I just like them. They're just good fun. So you're going to start trapping. So I'm going to put some out. I'm not going to get, I don't think I'm going to get Asian hornets because they're, no, even if they're, even if they've landed in the middle of England, they're not going to get down here for 18 months. So, and we're hoping that they contain them. And we'll just have to see in the see we'll know next year because 
that appear. I do, I agree with what you're saying though about you know everyone registers, everyone does their bit to try to identify this pest when it arrives again. Um, so yeah, yeah I, seen, I will seen, be working out how to make them, and I will be doing it. Well, I have seen people say that they, they won't register on bee base because they don't want the government to know they've got bees, which is just ridiculous. It's just, I don't understand. I that. mean, uh, <laughs> I don't understand do? what the government means in that. I don't know context, but um, if you got bees. And you got the internet. Go on Bee Base and register your bees. Mm. So I think that's that's the big pests. So we've got. So I think your your what's your message then to your you know your your fellow Australians about how they would deal with varroa? Is it to be terrified or just to be educated? Be on it. Know how many mites are in every single one of your colonies. Obviously, as a hobbyist, I'm not a commercial beekeeper. I don't have you know a thousand hives. Um, but yeah, in my 10 slash 14, depending on whether I'm including the losers in that. Um, I, I, you know, I want to know how many are in each colony because there's no one size fits all. You have to treat every colony as an individual. Okay. And as someone who's quite rare in this country that's actually seen a small hive beetle in action, how terrified should we be of small hive beetle? I mean, it's just a disgusting thing. I mean, I, I personally found it more disgusting. I don't know how the bees feel about it. Well, obviously, they were pretty upset because they left. Um, but what's interesting about it is if you look at kind of the, the well, it used to be DEFRA leaflets, which is now AFA, isn't it? Uh, no, DEFRA is still DEFRA. AFA, the Animal and Plant Health Agency leaflets. Um, when you see the big picture on the front of small hive beetle, it's a bit like your Daily Mail thing. You think it's enormous. And then, of course, you see it on the comb and it's... It's quite small, but it is easy. I found it easy to see its defining characteristics, which are the antennae, which are like little, they're club-shaped. Um, they've got little kind of feather dusters on the end. And also their wing case is short. It doesn't completely cover their wings like other many okay. other, most other beetles. Um, so it's very clear. Um, I didn't actually see any of their larvae, but um, the adults, yeah. I mean... Again, I, th I well, you watch out for all of these things, don't you? Every time you look at your bees, you should be having at least one eye on all of this stuff and then do dedicated pest and disease inspections. Yeah. I mean, I, I did read somewhere some people suggesting they couldn't live in the weather in, in England, um, which I think is a bit optimistic given that they're living in Canada. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. They found them in Canada. Oh, so my God, that really surprises me. So if they find them in Canada, they can find them anywhere. God, I mean, yeah. it's pretty boring in Canada, Canada as well. So. <laughs> well, they'll be over here, you see. My dad's from Canada. He's pretty boring. Oh, is he really? <laughs> <laughs> I love Canada. I thought of going there, actually, to live when really? we decided to exit the EU. I thought I'd go to Canada because I just love it. And I love Canadians and I love Toronto and, yeah. Oh, okay. Why not? That's a divergence. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So I think we're going to try and end. So we've done PES, which is a pretty depressing second podcast. So we probably never, no one's going to listen to any more. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> so there's a thing that was on um, the radio over here a couple of days ago, which I thought I'd play to people. We would like
like to call it the whoop whooping signal whooping. because it sounds like whoop whooping. <laughs> It's a tiny, tiny sound, and in fact, it is not a sound. Strictly speaking, it's a honeybee vibrating the honeycomb, so it's really a vibration. In the majority of instances, we think it's a startled bee. It is a bee that is surprised, a little stress. For example, uh, accidental collisions would take place in the hive, or there would be uh, intentional headbutting taking place in the hive. Intentional? Yes, absolutely. Uh, bees uh, wanting to stop one would headbutt, and uh, a bee wanting to request food from another one would also headbutt. And we think it's the consequence of that headbutting rather than an intentional signal being sent by the bee. Um, and it's so that is um, a research scientist in England who's worked out how to fit accelerometers to comb. So when bees vibrate the comb, they generate a noise. It's really clever. So It's amazing. What he's discovered is that when bees are frightened, they make this noise. When they're shocked or startled, they make this noise by vibrating the comb. And if you read the paper, what they're suggesting is, is not only is this, you know, when they, cause they feed each other by bumping heads. And sometimes when they bump their heads, they startle each other and they make this noise. But he's also suggesting that they may make this noise if they've been startled outside. So if there's predation happening outside, maybe there's wasps or something, mm. they'll go inside and they'll send this alarm signal. So the question is, is do they hear this alarm signal, then don't leave? Because I think one of the things, linking back to our earliest conversation, Asian hornets do is they have this thing of they'll attack weak hives and essentially keep the bees in the hive. So they'll stop coming out and then eventually that they... they they become so scared that they run out of resources in the hive and then the, they just get overwhelmed by the hornets. So it was a really interesting sound, this squawking. Fascinating that the way they, that they, that they're using comb to vibrate, which makes me wonder what impact Plastic Comb Foundation has on that natural process. Communication in yeah, the hive. Yeah, because we use, mm. you know, well, I don't, but people use the Wax Foundation, which is obviously natural. But I wonder if Plastic Comb, mm. if they've researched actually what Plastic Comb does. That's a really, really good question because vibration is one of the most important communication methods that bees use. Um and so when they but when they're vibrating the comb, where does that what part of their body does that vibration come from? And is it through direct contact with the comb? Because hmm. I, I imagine they use their flight muscles because I can't think of what else would. So vibrate. it must be their thorax. Yeah, like queens do when they're emerging, that piping. I've never heard that. Thing. You've heard it. it. Sounds like quacking. I thought ducks were flying over, and then I realised it was about twelve queens just coming out and flying away right in front of me. That was in one of my early days. Anyway, swarm control, that's another subject. <laughs> <laughs> or lack of. Well, yeah, in that case, definitely. So, um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was on the... So you can hear that. Um, I'll put in the show notes, I'll put the full... It was part of a morning radio show, so I'll put the... If you live in the UK, you can go and listen to it on the BBC website, but there's a clip as well which I, that you just heard. I'll put a link to that as well. So it's now what? coming up to march yes what are you going to do in your april over the next couple of weeks okay so i'm still monitoring 
uh, the stores in my hives. I'm feeding quite a few of them. Um, the nukes are very light. It's hard to overwinter nukes made late in the season, which mine were. Um, and yes, I've decided to do some maintenance in my apiary. For example, cutting down the blackberry tangle that has tripped me over twice um, in the past three weeks. Uh, health and safety kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, just kind of... Do you ever go to your apron and not have an accident? No, I never do. <laughs> and if I don't fall over, it's usually something like my car battery runs out and I'm stuck up on a field somewhere. But um, no, so I mean, what I am going to do is uh, just really look at last year, actually in our first podcast when we both blogged about our previous year. Yeah. It made me realise... Um, what the learnings are and what I'm going to do differently. And one of the things I want to change slightly is the layout of my apiary. So I'm going to start doing that. But most of all, I'm getting all my equipment ready. I'm getting all my frames made. Well, I'll just take the ones that you've done, actually, <laughs> that you don't want anymore. They're done. Um, and, um, yeah, just getting all my boxes cleaned. Um, yeah, and my land, the landowner has asked me to paint my hives um, which I'm very happy to do, but it's too cold to do that right now. So that will be one for a bit later on. You're going to paint them purple, so they're branded. Yeah, I don't mind at all. I paint mine. You don't have to. I like painting. Well, it. I mean, linseed oil is great on the cedar hives, but mine are getting to the age where I think they need something a bit more. I like to hold them different colours as well. Yeah, I paint no. them a different colour every year, so I've got boxes of different colours now. I have to think about how the bees are going to react to that, actually, because they'll all look the same. Um, and they don't at the moment. But Well, you could put symbols on them. Yeah, so you put visual yeah. cues, don't you? Anyway, that'll be... So you're worried about drifting? Uh, yeah, and yeah, just I don't want to upset them. You know, I've got enough to contend with. <laughs> With all these pests, um. <laughs> so you made, but you've made your robin, robin uh, screens. I have, um, and I've well, I've got those from last year, so I've cleaned those up. They're ready to go. Um, I think, th I think the the thing I always do is I leave everything till April, and you know, and they're starting to swarm, and then you're running around looking yes. for, you know, it's just. So I learned that my second year of beekeeping, I learned the cardinal sin of running out of kit. And then you're, 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 you know, you go up there Saturday, you look at them, you realise you need lots more frames and then Saturday night you're banging in frames mm -hmm. to the wee hours of the morning. So I use February, March. So March I make sure that I've got at least one empty nuke per hive. So worst comes to worst, I'm going to do soil control. And then I, I just make lots of frames and I paint my, you know, paint my boxes, clean them. Because I've got a lot of spare bee equipment that I'm never going to use. So I need to get that out of my thing. And I'm moving. I've got two hives I'm going to move. I've got one that's my managed hive that I'm going to mm. I'm going to do a shook swarm on, actually, and shape, uh, shake it into a double nuke and then move it to where I get my other bees. Mm. Um, and I've got another one, which is... Um, so where I keep my bees, there's some woods, and in those woods are two WBCs. Neither of them are mine, but they're just abandoned hives. And um, I'm pretty sure my bees have moved into them as a rogue swarm. Um, and <laughs> in April, I'm essentially going to go and rehive them into my, so my hive. So that might be a bit of an adventure because I've never 
I'd never dealt with an abandoned hive before. Mm. The WBCs are on pallets and under a tree. They're quite picturesque, actually. But um, Keep them at a distance. What do you mean? Until you get to know them. Well, I was going to shake... What my plan is, as is, is to shake them into a nuke. Uh, I'm going to do uh, an oxalic submarine on them then. Mm. So just kill off any mites on there. Um, leave them there on the nuke and then uh, go back feed them go back the week after move them to my back garden leave them there for a couple of days then move them back to my original apiary because I'm with you I don't I don't want unknown bees in my garden because they might be horror bees and then um, middle of March I'm planning on pollen patties and feeding so I've got um, hive top feeders, sort of high capacity ones. I'd have to go every week, and every every couple of days, and fill them up. And I've got pollen patties, so I'm gonna. That's my plan. Really, is to. Last year I didn't feed in the spring, and I think they kind of need it. So now you've got the crocuses coming out. Some of the daffodils are starting to come out. So there's yeah. pollen. Yeah, where we are, um, the cro- we, there are a lot of crocuses out here at the moment. Yeah, loads. So that's and my. In fact, that might have been bringing in loads of pollen. Really? Yeah, which has surprised me. I've not really seen mine fly. They're there. I know they're alive because I had a look. They're, they're, and they're eating fondant yeah. like no one's business. But um, I've not really seen them flying. I've, there's, I've got one colony, which is quite a big colony. And rarely do I see it flying. And I I wonder if I should be... Maybe I wonder why. Nocturnal bees. <laughs> Maybe they just don't like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all go in. It's her again. Um, so... Yeah, absolutely. All of those things. And, yeah, I, I, I will be doing my shook swarms this year. It's got to be done this year. Um, but also the other the other hangover from 2016 is the fact that I bought, in desperation, which I spoke about before, the nukes that I bought were on 14 by 8 frames, so standard national, mm. British national frames. And I use jumbo frames you should do a bailey comb change <laughs> shut up <laughs> and yeah that that was you know i kind of thought oh yeah i know they say I don't mix equipment and i mean obviously i wouldn't mix top and bottom b space but i thought i oh, know i can handle this and anyway it just messed up everything because i couldn't i couldn't unite those hives with other oh it so they were national wrong. boxes they were nukes with extensions using standard Okay. National so they're, they're, they're still in nukes then? No, they're not in nukes anymore. So they're in national, normal national boxes? Yeah. I'll swap. We'll do a box swap. I want more nationals. Paul, as a friend, I'll tell you, you don't want those bees. No, I don't want the bees, I want the boxes. I'll write the boxes. Oh, no, no, you can't have those. Because I, I bought eeks for them. <laughs> <laughs> and use, use them for 14. Bio. I've got an eek. I don't like eggs. They don't fit properly. They're they're cheesy. They're okay. They're okay. But I'm going to be using more polyhives this year. So that will be interesting. See how that goes. Can I ask you one question, actually? Wasps, you're talking about trapping. Yes. For Asian hornet. Yes. Do you trap for wasps at the end of the season? You know what? I don't. If I'm going to make traps, I might as well make wasp traps as well. So I, my, I do get a lot of wasps around. Um, right. In fact, there's a guy who comes to the farm 
uh, whose hobby is looking for wasps. He's really into. He's an entomologist, and that's what he's. he's oh, I see. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, not not. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like just killing wasps. No, 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 not like. No, yeah. no, no. He goes and because they've got two lakes there, and there's um, predatory wasps, solitary predatory wasps, and he goes down on the. I was trying to. He goes down to the edge of the lakes, and he can see them picking things off the flowers. Fascinating. I've never seen a solitary predatory no. wasp. So he, he looks for those. Interesting, but scary. But I do get a lot of wasps. So mm. um, I think I will trap in the in the autumn. They're not a problem in the summer because they're out killing everything mm. in the woods. Right? So it's just in the autumn when all the their natural, all the wild, you know, the, the prey dies off. Mm. Um, and that's it. Then they decide yeah. time to pop around the bees' house. Yeah, at the same time as the bees have a tendency to start robbing each other. But yours do. Well, <laughs> they weren't mine, I don't think. But um, maybe the, maybe some of them were. But, yeah, no, I, I do trap for wasps, and I, I know they've got that. They play a very important part in the food chain. Not in autumn. Think, but at that time of year, <laughs> they are just vicious. So I justify it. In the autumn, mm. they're kind of done, really. <laughs> um, but we get, a, you know, we get a lot of wasps in my apron. Just could get a lot of wasp nests out in the woods and mm. in the barns and stuff. So they are everywhere. Yeah. So I think that's it. So you can do the, the goodbyes and the social medias. Thank you for listening again. Uh, thank you to people who've emailed us and uh, made comments. Thank you, Donnie, for your email advising me about a method of queen rearing that I might find more acceptable. Um, I'm going to give that one a try. Um, so, yeah, please do follow us on social media. Our website is www.thebeehivejive.com. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter as well, which is at thebeehivejive. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay.